Well, good morning, Christ Chapel. Would you please open your Bibles, open your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 1. And no matter uh, what venue you're in, if you open one of those blue Bibles, I bet you can guess what page it is because it is page 1. We're going back to the beginning. So go to the beginning of that blue Bible, page 1. Please, hello to all of you joining us no matter what venue you're in. If you're joining us uh, online, I would like to give a warm welcome. I feel like that's the only welcome you should give somebody today because uh, it is freezing cold outside, which made me think, in August, should I give you a cool welcome? Ponder that a while. Uh, but warm welcome. So glad that you're here uh, to worship. Uh, we're going to have a great time. I do need you to get out your sermon notes as well uh, because there's going to be some things on there that will not uh, be on the screen. And also, if you see uh, Ben Fuquay, our Fort Worth campus pastor, please wish him a happy birthday. Today is his birthday, so uh, very thankful for him. Uh, so wish him a happy birthday. Uh, but we are going to uh, go back to the beginning, and that's the series that we're studying today. And as we study this uh, text that was written thousands of years ago, I was reminded of a, a statement, a phrase, a quote that was given uh, back to the early church. It's hard to, to know who it was attributed to, uh, but the quote goes uh, something like this. Uh, Scripture is like a river. It is both broad and deep. It is broad enough that a lamb can wade into it and deep enough that an elephant can swim in it. Or uh, it was uh, phrased a different way, a similar concept, but a little bit different way. It was said um, that, that scripture is, is both broad and deep, but it said a, a baby can drink from it without fear of drowning. And a theologian can swim in it and never find its depth. I, I think that is so true for the text that we're studying today. Uh, the text that we're studying today are the seven days of creation. And this might been, may have been a text that uh, you learned as a child. I mean, this is a text that we teach in our kids' ministry. And let me tell you, as I've studied it, I cannot find the bottom. It is so rich and it is so deep. And I praise God for the way that anyone can approach his word. And we can all get something from it. So my prayer is today is that you would be challenged to go a little bit deeper, maybe than you've ever been before, but all of us would find that our thirst is, is satiated, is, is satisfied uh, in some way that God speaks uh, to each one of us. So we're going to pick back up uh, where we left off, and because it's such a short text, I want to read the text that we went over last week. It's in Genesis uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. So just follow along with me. Uh, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So last week, we learned that God was eternal, that God was purposeful, and that God was sovereign over all things, which, uh, by the way, just to tell you what a wonderful church uh, you guys are, last week I used an illustration about how I open Amazon packages with keys. Um, I have been given so many pocket knives, buoy knives, and machetes that 
Never again in my house will I open an Amazon package with my keys. So you guys are awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Love you. Uh, you're amazing. Um, so, uh, but we, we studied that passage where we learned that, that God brought the, the cosmos out of chaos, like he does this amazing thing as he was hovering over the spirit of the waters and he's gonna bring about something that is purposeful and we're gonna study some of those things uh, today. But one of your first questions is, how? how? How did it happen? Now I wanna begin by first stating some limitations, okay? Some limitations first. I'm, first limitation, I'm not a scientist. I'm not going to uh, pretend to be one. Uh, so that is, is not my background, but I don't think I'm gonna make any scientific claims today that you're gonna go, oh my gosh, who do you think you are? Okay, so first limitation. Second limitation, we are finite beings trying to explain and understand the infinite. So let, let's just understand that a little bit. And the third limitation is we only have 30 minutes uh, to, to study this passage, okay? So we can't cover uh, everything that might be uh, in your heart and in your mind, but praise God, there's plenty of time for you to study uh, during the week as well. But those are some of the limitations that we have as we talk about how God did some of this and what God did uh, on these days of creation. Now, when you ask yourself, uh, how did this happen? There are, are two predominant um, Theory. Let's call them theories for sake of conversation right now. Uh, the first one is that there was some sort of spontaneous act that spawned evolution. That, that is one theory, one theory, a spontaneous act that spawned evolution. Now, I don't ascribe to that theory first because uh, it's hard to understand how something came from nothing. Uh, and second, I, I don't see uh, evidence of species crossing a species, uh, of, of species creating or evolving into other different types of species. I don't see evidence uh, of that uh, throughout history, really. So that's one theory. Spontaneous acts, spawns evolution. Second theory is that there was a supernatural creative act. A supernatural creative act, which is what I do believe and what I believe that Scripture teaches. Now, here's why I bring up those two predominant theories. is because it doesn't matter which theory you pick, you are exercising faith either way. Either way, you're exercising some amount of faith. It doesn't matter if, you're, if you call yourself a creationist. It doesn't matter if you call yourself an evolutionist. It doesn't matter if you call yourself an atheist, a biologist, a scientist. You put whatever title you want. All of us, when we trace all of these things back, are exercising an amount of faith. I am just choosing to believe and put my faith in a creative and creator God, who I believe is personable, personal, and knowable. That's what we find out in Hebrews chapter 11, verse three, which is at the top of your sermon notes. It says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. We, by faith, understand that the universe was created by the word of God and therefore God himself. 
And that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which we don't have time to go into. We'll go into a little bit more uh, next week. Uh, but every one of us is exercising faith. Okay, I, want, I just want to start there. Now, some of you might say, well, Cody, then do you believe in science? I absolutely 100% believe in science. I do. I believe, I believe in science because I believe in the God who created science. And I think the more that we learn about science, the more that we learn about God. I think the, the longer that people look into telescopes and the longer that they look into microscopes, the more that they see God. God is in all of those things. And you say, well, are, are you afraid of scientific discovery, like what people are discovering? I'm honestly not, because the more that people are discovering, the more they're finding God. Uh, but there's a wonderful phrase that uh, uh, has been uh, uh, really comforting, in, in a sense, to me as, as I study this. I read a theologian, Justo Gonzalez, and he said this, there is enough elasticity in Scripture to account for scientific discovery. And, and I think that's true, me, meaning that there's nothing that we're finding out that is contradictory to God's word. That there is a way that, that it fits, that, that it makes sense, that it's explainable, but by faith, when you trace it all back, it goes back to a creative and creator God. But I will say this, we don't know everything. And we won't know everything. Therefore, there is a point where everyone has to be comfortable with mystery. We have to be comfortable with a, an aspect of, of mystery because there is an aspect where God is mysterious, where we don't understand all of those things, even when it comes to creation. And a great example is Job. In Job 38, after Job has been talking with God and he's like, you know, he's upset and he's talking about all these things and these tragedies that has happened in his life, God says to him, Job, where were you when I created the foundation of the earth? And I imagine Job said, I wasn't there, tell me. And guess what? God doesn't tell him anymore. He just says, you weren't there. And there's an aspect where I don't have to explain that part to you. There's a, there's a mysterious part to God. Now, just because we don't know doesn't mean you can't care. You can still care about those things and you can still explore those things. Again, the more you explore, the more I believe that you're going to find God. And the more that I have been reading, the more I have been researching, the more I have found God as well. You see, just because God doesn't tell you everything doesn't mean he doesn't care about everything. He cares about you. He cares about all the aspects of your life. And so just because we don't know doesn't mean that he doesn't know us and all of those things before. So what we're going to do today, now uh, that was a very long intro, but I wanted to cover a lot of those foundational things so that you understand kind of what, remember we talked about last week, understanding the expectations that we're bringing and placing onto Genesis. So that's why I kind of want to start, start there. But today, what I want to do is I want to go through those seven days of creation in a very broad sense. And we're going to look at some of the characteristics of creation because those characteristics of creation all point back to the character of God. And then I'll give you some applications so that you can understand how those seven days of creation affect your seven days of your week. So let's uh, begin there on your sermon notes. The first thing that I want you to see about God's creation is that what God creates is orderly. 
What God creates is orderly. And the reason why I put that in the present tense is because, um, not uh, again, what, what is here, what he created was orderly, but he's still creative. He's still creating. And what he creates is orderly. Now, I'm going to use orderly in a lot of different ways because there's a lot of different orderly things going on here in Genesis chapter 1. First, you can see just the pattern of creation. What I mean by that is uh, God says it happens. <laughs> he says that it's good, and then they name the day. Then the, then the day is named, and, and you know, and then it was morning, even day, then it was day one or day two, etc. Now, as soon as I mention the word day, some of you have the question, okay, Cody, how old is the earth? Okay. I'm going to not answer that question for you today. Um, so let me just go ahead and state that. But let me tell, let me tell you your options because um, you, you want to understand this. So first, you need to know that the word day that is used there, it's the Hebrew word yom. Um, but what it means when it's used all throughout the Old Testament, when it's used with an ordinal like a first or second, etc., it always does mean throughout the Old Testament a 24-hour period. So, I, I, and if you take that view, then the earth is about 6,000 years old, okay? That is one uh, interpretation that you can have. Uh, another interpretation you can have is that a day means a period of time. So when it says, a, a, you know, day one, that's a longer period of time. Now, we studied uh, last week, I even told you from Second Peter, that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. So is that a possible interpretation? Yeah, that's a possible interpretation. Or there's even another interpretation, and that is that there is a break between Genesis 1 and Genesis, uh, Genesis 1 1 and Genesis 1 2. That God created the heavens and the earth, but then there was something that happened there between 1 and 2 because 2 in, in our ESV it says the, the earth was without form of void, but actually there is a Hebrew letter there of it's a vav. And the way that that vav is used there is a disjunctive vav, which is where people get the gap theory. If you've heard of the gap theory, it means that there's a gap between verses 1 and verse 2, which means there's, there could be a huge amount of time because the way that verse 2 starts with that disjunctive vav means now. Like there, there's a, there, now, so let's begin, and then the, the rest of the vavs used throughout uh, the rest of the days are then. So it's not now, it's then. Those are connective or uh, con, uh, vavs that are going on there the rest of the, of the book. So um, why do I tell you all these things? Because you can have any of those interpretations. You can, you can hold, I, I am comfortable with any of you holding any of those interpretations as long as we can all agree God did it. God did it. Did he create the earth and, and created um, in 24-hour period, but he created it in a way that it looked 15 billion years old? Sure, he could have. Is, is there a gap theory? Sure, it could be. Is it 24 hours? Sure, could be. Like, it, it really, those are all valid interpretations. 
Well, we trace it back. We're all looking at, uh, we're all taking it on faith that what? Bottom line, God did it. That's why I wanted to start with Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. Because by faith, we believe that God spoke it into being. That's what he did. But it was orderly in the way that he did it. Because he said, and let there be. And he uses these, these, which is really cool. Those are God's first words. You know, we think about the first words that our kids say. You know, those were God's first, first words. And let it be. And he speaks this universe uh, into existence. Uh, I don't know how that works with you. I wrote this in the pastor's desk. I don't know how many of you use like voice-activated text or, you know, hey Siri or hey Alexa or whatever. Man, those devices do not work for me. I mean, you, you can change it to Australian accent, English accent. I don't, I don't care. They don't understand Texas accent. Um, I, I can't get it to do what I ask. But God had no problem dictating to creation what he wanted it to do and what he wanted it to be. And he creates it in an orderly way. And when he creates it, again, what matters is that we know that God did it. And when we say that God did it, here's a couple of things that we need to agree on. First, God was the first cause. There was nothing before him. He caused it to happen. And we talked a little bit about that last week. Second, he did it ex nihilo. Uh, He did it out of nothing. And that's why we study that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. So those two things are foundational as we go back to the beginning when we talk about order. But when God creates the earth, he does it in an orderly way. Day one, day two, day three. But he also does it with laws of nature. If you think about it, there are uh, are natural laws that don't, don't change. There's a speed of light. The, the, the water freezes at, a, at 32 degrees and it boils at, isn't it 212 degrees? It, it, at the, all the time. That, that, that never changes. Whenever I try to dunk a basketball, gravity wins every time. There, there are laws in nature that never change. God created those orderly ways. He's an orderly creator. And we see that in what he does here in Genesis chapter 1 as he creates. And so I put this table on there for you to see some order because these are, it's really important how, how you understand this. So if you look at that table, uh, on the first three days, what God is speaking into, uh, he's creating form out of an earth that was formless and void. So first, he tackles the form. And so you can see the first day is light, and then the second day, air and water, and third day, land and plants. And then after he gives it form, he fills it with life. He fills the void. He gives it lights and fowl and fish and animals and humans. Now, I think that's important, and we'll come back to it in in the second point here in just a second. But I think it's important to understand uh, the order that God does. And here's the principle, that God creates boundaries before he inhabits it with life. God creates boundaries, and that's what he does in the first three days. He creates boundaries before he puts life into it. Now, why would he do that? Because boundaries provide for protection and flourishment. Boundaries provide for protection and flourishment. Think about, think about this for, for just a second. 
Uh, if, if you've ever uh, brought a child uh, into this world by God's grace, um, I want you to think about all the preparation you did at home uh, to bring that baby home. Uh, whenever you found out you were expecting, uh, you, went, you went and worked on the nursery, right? You built a crib, which is a bed with boundaries. Why? Because you didn't want that baby to roll out onto the floor. Uh, you put child locks on everything you could see, you know, on, on every cabinet uh, underneath the sink. You, you, you put boundaries on all of the stuff within your home before you brought life into the home. And, and oh, by the way, you also filled the house with diapers, with blankets, with uh, food, with all of that stuff that that child would need before you brought the child into the home, didn't you? Okay, maybe we, maybe we only did that, I, I don't know, right? You, did, you, you provided the boundaries and you provided all the sustenance and everything that they would need before you brought them in. Is that not the order that we see here in Genesis? All of the things being provided, the boundaries and the provisions for his ultimate creation, which is humanity, which we'll study a little bit more next week. Here's your application. By faith, allow God to order your life. By faith, allow God to order your life. And I mean, I mean this in... in two different ways. Um, yes, I do mean it in the way of uh, allow God to be a priority in your life, prioritize him. But I really mean it in two ways. First is abide by his boundaries. Abide by his boundaries. Uh, God has put boundaries on the things that you should think about. He's put boundaries on the way that you should use your finances. He's put boundaries on your marriage um, he's put boundaries on your relationships. God puts those boundaries in place. Why? For your protection and for your flourishment. As human beings, we don't like boundaries and we want to push the boundaries or step over the boundaries. And when we do, that gets us in trouble. We all know that. So allow God to order your life first. Abide by his boundaries. And then second... What I want to say is allow for his progression. Allow for his progression. And here's what I mean by that. Um, God did not throw humanity into something that was formless and void. There was a day one, and there was a day two, and there was a day three, and it, everything progressed the way that he wanted it to be for his ultimate uh, will to be accomplished, but ultimately to put you, to put Adam and Eve into a place that was good for them, in a place where he could have a relationship with them. And I think sometimes uh, we want to run ahead of God. And we might be on day one and we go, God, I want to be at day four, or I want to be at day seven. I want to be at the day of rest. Like, can I just get there? And God goes, hold on, you're on day two. We need to get to day three. And I don't mean that literally, I mean that metaphorically, but what I mean is oftentimes we aren't patient enough to allow for God's progression in our life. 
and we don't trust him with those progressions and we don't trust him to say, God, I'll wait for you to do what you want to do in my life. Because God is working. God is at work. And just because he might not be at the stage that we want to be at, he's still working for your good to accomplish all of those things that he wants to do in your life. So be patient. Be patient. He is working on you. You will not become the Apostle Paul tomorrow. I I wish we all could. Trust me, I've prayed that I would be. Uh, You've probably prayed that I would be. Um, and, And I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a work in progress. I think we're all works in progress. We have to be patient and allow for God's progression as he continues to work for our good and his glory. So by faith, allow God to order your life. Uh, second, um, the second thing we see about creation here is what God creates is good. What God creates is good. As you can see, it repeated all throughout Scripture, uh, all, all throughout this uh, text. Um, he uh, creates, he speaks it into being, it happens, and he says that it is good. Um, now, the Hebrew uh, term for good means good, okay? Don't, don't have to do a whole lot of study for that one. It, it means good but, but something that's cool is it doesn't just mean good in a generic sense. It means good in the broadest sense. It means good experientially. It means good uh, ethically. It means good morally. It means all around, all encompassing. It is good. Now, this is a huge statement that Moses is making when he makes a statement because a prevailing ideology during those times was this dualism that anything material was bad and anything spiritual was good. Anything spiritual was transcendent, so leave behind the material that's bad and only take on the spiritual. And we don't believe in dualism. Again, we'll study that again next week, so come back next week. But um, he is speaking into that where, no, 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 no. The physical, the created, that's good too. That, that, that is good. And it's funny because it's almost like uh, when Moses is speaking into this where only spiritual was good, our pendulum has swung today where now we're so focused on just the physical uh, world today. Uh, but th- that, that dichotomy does not exist in God's economy. He says, what I create is good. That is spirit, soul, and even the physical. It's good in his eyes. Now, there's a couple of uh, implications when he says that it is good. First, it accomplished his intended purpose. Like he set out and intended to create that. And it's like he creates it and he steps back and he goes, huh, that's good. That turned out how I wanted it to turn out. So that accomplished his intended purpose. The second thing that I think it alludes to here is that it spoke to the highest need. It spoke to the highest need, meaning uh, when he steps back and says it was good, it spoke into it, the world was formless and void. What's the need? Oh no, there's no form and there's nothing there. So what he creates speaks to the greatest need that it has. And so when it speaks to the greatest need, he steps back 
And he says, it is good. And finally, another implication is, um, creation didn't evolve by accident. It didn't evolve by accident. It, it, it was purposeful. It had an intention. And so uh, here's our application when we talk about that being good. Uh, by faith, obey God's word to see his goodness. Obey God's word to see his goodness. Now, certainly, uh, we live in a broken world where bad things happen to good people, where bad things happen to obedient people. But the, the prevailing uh, principle throughout Scripture is God blesses obedience. That, that's, that's written all throughout uh, Scripture. And so, uh, by faith, we need to obey God's word if we want to see his goodness. And again, that goes back to what we were talking about with the progression of God. Because creation, the, let, let's take the light, for instance. Uh, the light uh, didn't, it, it simply obeyed. And after it obeyed, God said it was good. Now, now you think about that and your relationship with the Lord or I'll think about it, my relationship with the Lord. When the Lord says, Cody, here is what I want you to obey, sometimes I go, but God, what good is going to come out of that? And I begin to negotiate my obedience and say, tell me what good is going to be accomplished before I obey. And he says, no, 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 no. You don't see the goodness till after you obey. I mean, can you imagine the, the, the son, he's like, son, go over there. And he's like, I don't know, God. Maybe I shouldn't. What will you give me if I do? I mean, that, Jen and I do this negotiation at home with our boys all the time. You know, eat your dinner. How many bites do I have to eat to get dessert? It's like this negotiation all the time. And sometimes we do that with God. And God says, hold on. The goodness comes after obedience, and we don't negotiate it. He's got a bigger, broader picture. He's got a bigger, broader scope. So don't negotiate. Obey God's word, just like creation obeyed God's word, in order to see his goodness. And then finally, the last thing we see in his creation is what God creates is complete. What God creates is complete. So what God uh, creates is orderly, what God creates is good, and what God creates is complete. So I, I don't want to skip over this, and this is why we're going to go into chapter two, because sometimes when people talk about creation, they talk about the six days of creation, because those six days God was creating, but remember, there are seven days of creation, there, there, he talks about seven days in here as a whole. So look at uh, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from his work that he had done in creation. So uh, after those six days, after God um, 
has every right and authority and bosses the world around and tells everything where to go so it's with now has form and it is now filled with life. It says that God rested. Now the, you need to understand the word rested there means cease. It means to stop. It doesn't mean that God was tired. In fact, we know from the Psalms that God never sleeps. So God never tires. What it's talking about here is that he created, out of uh, those six days, created everything, and then he said, I'm done. I can stop. Why could he stop? Because everything was complete, everything was perfect, everything was good. Everything was as it should be. Everything turned out how he wanted it to be. Therefore, he can stop. He can cease. He doesn't have to continue. And so uh, this is where, in the Jewish law, uh, we got the concept of the Sabbath. It became part of the Jewish law, where you would work six days, and this is the Old Testament law, you would work six days, and then on the, the last day, that was a Sabbath, the seventh day. You rested like God. It was a day for refreshment, and it was a day for rest, and it was a day for worship and communion with God, and it was also a sign to everyone else. Remember, this is an agrarian society. It was a sign to everybody else that, look, we don't have to work, and God is still going to work for our good, that he is still for us. He will carry on because he doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. That was the sign of the Sabbath in the Old Testament as represented by creation. So everybody was working for that weekend. But then all of a sudden in the New Testament, you have this person show up, Jesus, and what does he call himself? The Lord of the Sabbath. Now, why in the world would he call himself the Lord of the Sabbath? Because he is breaking all the rules of the Sabbath he, he is working miracles on the Sabbath, and he's getting called to account for that. But the reason why Jesus is calling himself the Lord of the Sabbath is because true rest is not found in a day, it's found in a person. That's the whole reason why he says, you've been working for the weekend to try to find rest. Guess what? Come to me. That's Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Don't work for the rest. Find it in me, which is a wonderful application for us. By faith, rest in Christ's completed work for you. Rest in Christ's completed work for you. See, in the Old Testament, the, the pattern was not only work six days and get a day off, find a day of rest, but it, it was work in order to be blessed, obey in order to be blessed. And in the New Testament, in Christ, because Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead, now all the work to pay the penalty for our sins, for us to be accepted by a holy God, is paid for, it's finished, it's complete. So now we start with completion, and we don't obey to be blessed, we obey because we are blessed. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing, therefore we go, I want to obey, 
Man, you've given everything. You've completed the work. I don't have to do anything. You separated, just as he separated things here, separating and creating these boundaries. He has separated you as far as the east is from the west from your sins. (laughs) Taken it, said, nope, those are not together anymore. And now he's filled you with Christ's righteousness. Now you have been blessed. Life is now coming out of it. Man, go back and read John. Just read the gospel of John and overlay it with what we're talking about in creation. The parallels are amazing. You see, but he says the work has been completed in Christ. Now we give Christ every day. See, that's why we worship as Christians on a Sunday because it's the first day of the week. It's not only the day of the resurrection, but it's because we start off acknowledging that the work is complete. Now, the rest of our, the rest of our days of the week are given as worship as unto him. It's a completely different parallel. I mean, even go into John 14 about how he says, I have prepared a place for you. And not only have I prepared a place for you, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, which means he prepares you for that place. He's already worked. He's already worked to prepare that place, and he's worked in you to prepare you for that. Like, it's just unbelievable, guys. But the work's only complete if you let Christ complete his work in you. And that's where it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Not that we're working to make our lives into something. Not that we're working to bring life out of our lives, but we accept the life that he has given us, that we are now a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. The old is gone and the new has come. And what God has done is complete. Sure, we're all a work in progress, but remember Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Why? Because everything God creates will be complete. Let me pray for us. Uh, God, we thank you for um, your word that speaks uh, to us. Even this this text about creation, Lord God, gives us so much hope and encouragement because we can rest in your completed work, knowing that what you do is orderly, what you do is good. So, Lord God, would you carry on that good work that you have started in each of our hearts and Lord God, as you're drawing folks, maybe there are folks that, that they are atheists. Maybe, maybe they don't believe in you, Lord God. Would you show them that you're a loving God who has moved heaven and earth in order to have a relationship with them? Not that they would have to work for it, but just that they would accept that free gift. Lord God, give us the patience to continue to allow your good work to happen in us. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.